Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast, stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Chef Ian Winslade's life has taken him from the countryside of England to Bermuda, to New York City, to Los Angeles, and finally to Atlanta. And he's been with us here since before the 96 Olympics. And he's spent his life honing his craft in the classic kitchen and has worked for an incredible array of chefs and restaurants. And before his current digs, I actually knew Chef Ian as the man in charge of the menu at Murphy's in Virginia Highland, which is a restaurant of Atlanta infamy its own. And now at Mission and Market in Buckhead, he is bringing his perspective of global cuisine to your plate with a menu that celebrates favorites found for all. And I caught up with Chef Ian at the restaurant to hear his story, which I know you're going to love. So here's Chef Ian Winslade of Mission and Market. It makes it sound like we're doing something, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just cool too. I mean, like I think one of my favorite <coughs> one of my favorite things is, you know, like when uh, when you hear either like someone you know calling in an order or um, you've got a uh, smashing you know, like, a plate. Yeah, like well, <laughs> oh, smashing a plate is always really great. I mean, I think that's that's super fun. But especially just like uh, you know hearing hearing just like the sounds of the kitchen. That's mm-hmm. really what I love to capture because you know rather than recording in a studio and you know having just like a pretty sterile environment. Like there's plenty more opportunity just to like actually be in the restaurant and like this is just where everything happens, you yes. know, and like finding like, you know, quote unquote, a quiet time that works for you, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like for the, that's going to work for a chef. I mean, it's so seldom that you actually have like just a moment to breathe, you know, so, yes. but, but man, it's such an honor to have you on the show, chef. Thank it's you. My pleasure to be on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So chef Ian Winslade, it's, um, man, this is probably, you guys are coming up on a year here. And yeah, Mission and Market. A year in April, yep. Yeah, so we're sitting in the dining room here, um, and I, I think you were just telling me, I mean, like, a lunch is, like, really clicking along for you guys, which is really cool. Yeah, lunch is yeah. good. It's fast and furious, so yeah, it's fun. that's awesome, man. Um, so we're... Um, we're going to we're going to cover like a lot of your background and then I want to obviously get into, you know, a lot of your time here in Atlanta and then chat a lot about Mission Market. I have a lot of fun questions for you. This is a really awesome location. I mean, as soon as you come off of 400, like right in the heart of Buckhead. Yes. Um, and I mean, you can't miss it if you're passing by, you know, heading either way, like east or west. And um, so I think the, the location that you guys have is especially interesting. But also, I really want to talk to you about the kitchen because that's really what has me like really interested. Okay. Um, it's just really, really cool. But um, but as we're getting started, I, I'm going to give you the first question that every single one of my guests receives on the show. So tell me a little bit about who was cooking for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? I think the interesting thing was most of the time it was my dad. My dad was... Um a creative cook. My mom was a was a decent plain cook, but my dad always tried to make creative things. He messed with different spices. Um, he always tried to do different things. So it was kind of interesting. Always when he cooked, it was a very interesting experience. So mm. sometimes it was great, sometimes it wasn't. But he played around with lots of different things. So yeah. I think that's mostly the side of me that my dad was a creative guy anyway. He was very artistic. Um, he was he was he was genuinely very very clever in many different things, and I think that um, his sort of influence upon me was just I think he gave me the the background to be to be creative and to be something you know to ap- approach things with a different sort of look than a regular plain standard old yeah upbringing would have brought for sure what what was like a meal that your dad made you that i mean like something that's the most memorable i mean the, for you. the most memorable things in england we have these things called marrows they're like um they look like oversized zucchini 
Oh, okay. They're like they can be like three, four, five pounds. Oh wow! And That's each, huge. Yeah, they're huge, and they're delicious. They're like they've got a lot of water in them, mm-hmm. and you can bake them really, really well. And what he would do is scoop out the inside and he'd um, saute off lamb or beef and season it with all these different spices, hmm. stuff that inside the marrow and then bake the marrow. And then we cut rings out of it. It was delicious. That sounds like a dish that I'd want to be eating mm-hmm. I mean, anywhere. That I wish beautiful. I had the recipe, you know. It's like <laughs> That's going to have to make it onto a menu somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And I mean, I've never found the genuine article of marrow in the States. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in England, they're very prevalent and they're delicious. So Interesting. I'm going to have to look that up because I'm really interested in like just the shape of it. I mean, it just sounds like a really big kind of like gourd style mm-hmm. vegetable like you see that a lot of that, I mean, um, it's funny, you know, because I think a lot of people, they, they kind of take um, the way that you can bake inside of like a, you know, just bake in like a butternut squash or a, uh, an acorn squash and, yes. you know, or even pumpkin. And they don't realize like, yeah, it's a very similar flavor to like a zucchini. Like it's kind of like a monochromatic flavor like you, but it's a perfect vehicle. I mean, it's like, you know. Yeah, it's like you, the best vessel because you, oh, you, you've basically got everything in one dish. Totally. It's it's an edible Dutch oven, which yep. is just awesome. That yeah, sounds really super, good. Yeah. I, now I want to research this. I want to see like different <laughs> recipes and like sounds really good especially wait like great for the winter time yeah it's great for the cold weather yeah Yeah. absolutely and and remind me what what part of england did you grow up in um out in the country near southampton sort of equidistant between southampton and portsmouth in a teeny little village that is literally a blip on the radar now it's quite a lot bigger but it was literally a blip on the radar in those days so yeah and how how long were you there before you relocated to the states um I first moved away from home when I was 19. So I moved to London. I spent a few years in London, five years actually. And then and then I moved to Bermuda for a year and then I came to the States. Hmm, that's really interesting. So what, what drew you to Bermuda? I was offered a job. <laughs> it sounded like the best idea in the world, you right? Know? I was an apprentice in London and um, in those days, you were treated really poorly, you know, they paid nothing. I remember never being feeling as poor as I did when I moved into the professional job. I was getting paid more to work, you know, part-time and go to college. And so um, when I moved into the apprenticeship and I signed the apprenticeship papers, it was basically five years of working for practically nothing. Goodness. So um, some good came out of that. But um, the good thing that did come out of that was when I got the opportunity to go abroad, I was like, I'm gone. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And what, what, was your, um, what, what was your apprenticeship? Like, what were you doing in the kitchen like, at that point? I started um, in the real classic kitchen. In the, um, when, I, when I apprenticed, which was um, many moons ago, but, you know, the classic kitchen, the classic French kitchen was still predominant in British food. Mm-hmm. Everything was French-based food. And so um, I started in that environment. And... Right at the end of my apprenticeship, a guy came along um, who'd had a couple of Michelin-style restaurants in Paris and um, in somewhere somewhere in Brittany too. And he, um, he showed us Nouvelle Cuisine, which to me was fantastic because we learned all the time to you know, make all these heavy sauces. You had to use the mother sauces. We did all that stuff. And then um, he sort of threw all that right out the window. Right. <laughs> so it was kind of fun. It was, that was very exciting. So he was like probably one of the first people that really woke me up to the fact that there was more to food than just, you know, following the repertoire de la cuisine or, you know, Escoffier or something like that. Right. This guy, like, literally threw it on his head. So it was kind of fun. Man, that, that's so cool. And it's so interesting now because so many people, like, they're, um, or especially, like, just... Um, 
you know, seeing like modern cuisine, like where people, they might have, you know, a, a, a third or fourth generation style of cuisine that they're learning that's rooted in French cuisine, like French mm-hmm. technique. And, you know, I guess what some people would call, you know, proper technique. And now it's just so like this weird amalgam of, you know, gastro and, uh, you know, like molecular and like, you know, we're making, you know, powders and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's so interesting where, you know, so much of the cuisine is still rooted in, in where, where it was, it's, it's very humble, you know, like where food really started, but like, it's completely like kind of taken it and then like morphed it into like what it's supposed to be like today is really interesting. So, and I think there's something interesting too about the food today. And that is that, you know, in the exploration of using chemicals in food, using food additives, right in the exploration of, you know, what you would call molecular cuisine mm-hmm. and sous vide and all that stuff. Right. I think basically now smart cooks have figured out what's a, what's appropriate, what's right, and you know, use that stuff to their advantage. Right. And you know, leave the rest of it out. Right. Like and powdering olive oil, for instance, right. to me it doesn't make any sense at all because sure. it doesn't taste like anything. Right. But I mean, you know, using different things to to do things with food is interesting. Yeah. Well, and especially to your point, you know, I mean, if it's um, if it's helping you from a prep perspective of like, hey, this is just a smart decision, and it's not necessarily all about like the the flash and like the glitz of like, oh, this is something that's really interesting for us to talk about, but it doesn't necessarily matter on the Mm -hmm. plate to the guest. You know, I mean, if it's something that really shows up and it's like, dude, you can tell the difference between a steak that was cooked just in a pan or if it was sous vide first, you know, or or reverse seared, you know, I mean, that really makes a difference to what you're actually tasting. But that's also a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty practical step now where it's just like, hey, you know, we can you know, you can put things in a water bath and then like pull them out as, as soon as you need to. Like, that's actually a really great move for like a busy restaurant. Yeah, so. it's because it's then, you you know, you're putting minimal char on it. Right. You're getting it up to temperature really quickly. Yeah. It's like those those things are fun to play with. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I have an immersion circulator at home and like it really does make you feel like a like a total boss. You know, <laughs> like I perfectly seared a steak or even something that's a little bit more finicky like um like seafood especially you know like certain types of fish that are more muscular mm-hmm. um like it really takes a lot of the guesswork out of you or, or it takes it out of it for you and um i've always appreciated that you know it's like man like i can really like do something that looks great but then especially the way that it tastes like it does make the home cook feel pretty cool too so and if you're having a dinner party or something and you know you want to con- you don't know exactly when you're going to eat mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about whether or not it's overcooking oh, totally. you don't have to worry about all that stuff big time so i mean yeah. it's totally relevant in the right place right so um, getting back to a little bit of your background, tell me a little bit about, you know, just like the, the start of your career and, you know, who was like a really big influence for you, like as you were progressing in your career as a chef? I mean, I was very reluctant in the beginning to even step out. I really honestly didn't want to leave where I was born. So <laughs> I was very reluctant. I was, I, it seems like my career has been one that's been, um, I've been sort of forced to change and forced to move. But all of those forces were usually for the good. Like uh, my apprenticeship, I didn't really want to go do that, but the head lecturer just sort of said to me, you need to go, you need to go do this. And Hmm. so I guess I just said, okay, and I went. Hmm. But um, I think biggest influences on me were probably the the, the French chap I talked about, his name's Yves Farouz. He was very Hmm. influential to me in my early years because he opened my eyes up to what was possible. and you know what we'd learned in college then became sort of it's still the stuff i use today the grounding of it is still there but he taught me just to look at things differently and i think that was really important um when i came to new york and worked with jobella cause 
at uh, Le Bonadin, he taught me a whole nother paradigm to that, which was sort of how to look at food simplistically and how the more than three flavors your palate doesn't recognize. And mm. it was that was fascinating too. So yeah. I think those two people had a strong mold on my uh, the basis of my career, I believe. Yeah, and it's really cool uh, that Le Bernardin has uh, a, a pretty big part of your story as well. I actually just interviewed uh, Chef Pano from Kima, mm-hmm. and you know another guy that worked under Eric Repair. Mm-hmm. And well, and it's it's just to me Le Bernardin is is one of the places that if I could, you know, choose like one of three places to go, like just jet set right now, go visit just to have a meal, like that's a top three. Just just because of, I mean, I think of who Eric Repair is and like his story, but especially. Uh, just, I mean, just the the time. <laughs> it's so impossible to not want to go and eat at this restaurant. And um, it's just so funny, you know, that I, um, you know, through through the course of you know just getting to know people, you know, mm-hmm. you 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 learn of you know like oh man, I did a I did like a, a stage there. Or I I actually worked there. I was part of like the culinary development team. Um, I interviewed Chef uh, Ron uh, Ron Su, uh, who's opening Lazy Betty, mm-hmm. and he worked for him for gosh ten years. Yeah, you know, I was like. But it, you know, to to him, it's just like, yeah, I mean, that's just that was a part of my career, and over, I'm over here like, tell me all about that. That's like that's just the most <laughs> fascinating thing. So, it's just really cool. It's just really really cool. It's, it's so. um, you know, everyone takes their own path. Yeah, for sure. So, so um, you know, <laughs> it's funny that you that you mentioned, you know, um, you're being a little reluctant to move from home, but you know, you you come to the states, so you're working in New York, but then you actually make your way over to the West Coast for a little bit as well. Yeah, I was in LA for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So, where were you doing there? I opened a restaurant up with um, the chef de cuisine at uh, Le Bonadin. We opened the restaurant up in um, Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. It was our timing was really off. Things, you know, when we moved over there, the time just wasn't right. So it what didn't. What year was it, this? It was. Um, it was the year the Rodney King riots happened. Oh wow! So, um, you know, we opened the restaurant a month later. We were under curfew for like I think it felt like a month or more. I don't Goodness remember how long it was, but you know, many many things happened. There's, I thought LA was great. I would love to go back to LA now. You know, um, I think New York now is a fantastic city. When I was living in New York, it was, you know, a little bit more surly. Right. But I think LA is becoming much more of a food cultured town than it was then. Sure. And so I'd, I think I'd just our timing was off, but it was a fantastic experience to cross coasts. And then um, in that restaurant, we had a main bar guy that was um, a, Thai, a Thai guy. And he opened my eyes up to great Thai food, great Asian food, Vietnamese food, um, stuff from Singapore and all of the Manila, all of those areas. And so um, it was very, very interesting to me to really then again take another look at, okay, so I've seen Nouveau Cuisine, I've cooked French food for a long time. And then to see all those flavors and to play with all those things was eye-opening to me. Yeah, I have never one time thought that uh, any Thai restaurant that I've ever been to, you know, from, from here to the West Coast, uh, up and down the East Coast, like I, I always want to try something new every single time mm-hmm. rather than just, I think a lot of people, they are like, oh, I love Thai cuisine. It's like, I think you really just love Pad Thai. And that's <laughs> kind of like, it can be multiple things, like depending on the region yes. of the country that you're in. But um, I always want to, I want to try something like, you know, what would you want to eat? You know, mm-hmm. like talking to a server, like, what would you want to eat? Like, that's that's what I would love to try something that's going to be so eye-opening and like I love so much of the sour note that you get in Thai cuisine Um, man just like through citrus or especially just things that are fermented like that's my favorite aspect of Thai cuisine 
is like fish sauce is just incredible. Like to me, like that is like, that's the, that's like the bomb of flavor that I want to try in like everything. Yeah, that's depth to everything. <laughs> oh man, big time. I mean, it's just such a, it's such a different dimension of, you know, just creating sauces and soups. And, I mean, just broth in general. I mean, like it really does, does something pretty magical. Mm-hmm. So um, I totally agree. Yeah. So you're in California and mm-hmm. you actually make your way back east over here. So to Atlanta, but like right, right before the 96 Olympics, right? Yes. I came here really because I felt like I was a long way from home. Um, I came here too just to, because I met Tom Catherall at a gig in Nashville. We were doing an SOS gig in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he said, come and take a look at Atlanta. And I took a look at Atlanta and it seemed to me like, wow, this is a great city. The restaurants are busy every single night and there's lots going on. So yeah, I decided to move over here. Gotcha. And had he, uh, man, his, his restaurant, uh, Tom Tom, right? Yes. Yeah, I helped so him open that one. Oh, so you helped him open that. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And Tom, I mean, he's, he's kind of a, he's an Atlanta, like culinary legend, you mm-hmm. know, like yeah, he's, he is. yeah, he's, he's quite the name when you start looking into, you know, Atlanta dining lore, like yes. his, his name's all over the place. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, what was it like when, so, I mean, it, it's so interesting cause you know, I've, I've had several people on the show where, um, you know, very unintentionally people that I have where I interview them and it just kind of comes out naturally like, well, you know, I grew up in Decatur. It's like, I had no idea you were from Atlanta <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, been here my entire life. Yes. And like, I've, I've interviewed so many people where Atlanta is not only home, it's where they were born. Like, yeah, I was born at Atlanta medical center where mm-hmm. I was born at Grady, you know, mm-hmm. like been here my entire life. But, um, but it's so interesting to hear their, their perspective on, the the transition or the evolution of Atlanta, not only just as a city, like growing into this, you know, mega city in the South, but especially from a culinary perspective of, you know, like, it's kind of like all these pillars throughout the years of, it's like, you know, like, I kind of remember Atlanta, like before the Olympics, and then like after 96, and then into like the early 2000s is when like, things started to happen. And we weren't just thought of as, you know, a city where you're just going to, you know, enjoy you know, kind of like rib sticking, you know, Southern style food of, you know, the, the, the stereotypical things that you would think of. Yeah. So it like, it's really started to evolve from there. Like, I mean, well, it scared me when I first moved here, to be honest with really? you. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, I looked at it and I thought, well, this is a great place to be. You know, there's lots going on. It seems like a really affordable city. And, um, when I actually got here, you know, the culture shock of going into the grocery store was like amazing to me really because in california you know you have the most amazing produce yeah everything's so fantastic it's it's like and then you come here and you know at that time you couldn't even buy beer on sundays and silly things like oh that oh my you know? gosh yeah so it was like it was it was a huge shock to me yeah to go in there and see you know the the best they had to offer when i first got here was like piggly wiggly standard you know right <laughs> <laughs> so, Which, but then know, very rapidly after the the you know after the Olympics came in, all of a sudden things got so much better, mm-hmm. and um, you know everything sort of ramped up, got more interesting, got more local, got more focused, and I think that you know the Atlanta of now is a million miles away from the Atlanta of then. Yeah, and it, it's so interesting. You know, I mean, I I grew up coming to Atlanta. Um, you know, most summers when I was a kid. And I mean, the only thing I really remember about Atlanta, you know, especially from the, you know, th- from the eyes of, you know, a, a, a young kid is like, I remember the varsity, you know, mm-hmm. or Mary Max tea room, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, that's kind of like what I had in terms of, you know, what, what kind of made Atlanta, like the cultural side, you know, what was it? What, what was the identity? Like I didn't really have much to really go off of, but it's, um, it's so, it's so amazing now where, you know, like I have this, um, it's kind of like this dopey phrase of everything that really makes up the Atlanta food cast is, you know, the, these are people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters because 
it's um it's so interesting to have people's perspectives on what they think of the city but then when they think of it or they see it through the lens of you know culinary or the dining community or restaurants or even if it has to be notoriety like you know James Beard award-winning chefs or you know whatever um, it completely changes people's perspective like they don't yes. see it for just as a city that's like busy overpopulated bad traffic you know or whatever else their opinions are mm-hmm. when they start when you start talking about Atlanta as like a powerhouse in the south or just in the country in terms of what it's like to eat here um, it's a completely different story yeah it's changing and changing and I, I see more on the horizon of things just continuing to get better and better and better yeah it so. should be a destination food city, right? Totally. I mean, we're the biggest city in the southeast. Yeah. Well, it's easy, too. I mean, you can just, like, you know, fly into the largest airport in the world. Yeah. Come have dinner and then go back to Dallas or yeah. wherever you live. Jump out. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so there's a big part of your story, and I want to hear just, you know, a little bit about it because, you know, Murphy's is, I mean, I, I would say it's an institution. I think a lot of people agree with that. I you totally know, agree with that, you too. You know, and, and what Tom Murphy does with, with that restaurant um, and just the, the number of people who have, you know, been a part of that restaurant individually and have done amazing things in mm-hmm. Atlanta and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, um, it, it's, it's so much of an institution, not just to like go and eat brunch, you know, cause I mean, that, that's a restaurant that really in my, <laughs> I think really set the pace for like what it means to eat brunch in Atlanta. And, um, but just in general, like of who it's really, you know, really set up in their career and, um, it's, um, it's, it's the kind of place where, you know, at some point, you know, you either move here or you're visiting here enough, like you end up eating at Murphy's at one point. Like yes. that's, that's the kind of restaurant that it is. Yes. I so, think you're right. Yeah. So where, where does Murphy's enter your story? I worked for um, Jean-Georges. I helped him open the W Midtown, the W Buckhead mm. before that. Um, and then I branched off and tried to do a, a project um, with a couple of guys and it fell through really horribly. So... I needed somewhere to land. I looked around for a few months, and then um, I think I was at the Share Our Strength event here, and um, somebody came up to me and said, hey, Tom Murphy wants to talk to you. And so I gave him a phone call, and that's how it started. Hmm. I saw lots of opportunity for me there at Murphy's to help him streamline things, to make things, to try to improve just general quality. And um, so he gave me basically a blank, slate said go and do it you know the interesting thing about an institution is you just can't reinvent it right so you can gently evolve it but you can't really just wipe the slate clean and start again yeah so i think during my tenure there you know i managed to get myself back on my feet i managed to get my life back together and i managed to help him evolve his restaurant so yeah i think i left it better than i arrived at it so yeah that's it, a, it's a that's an amazing goal to shoot for you know of like of just of showing up and improving something and really just leaving it better than it was when you came in. I mean, like, I think that that's, that's something that really does transcend into other aspects of life as well. But, um, but it was really cool. I mean, I, I think I remember reading something of, you know, how, how Tom, I mean, he, he wrote this, this, I mean, it was in, in some article about mission and market, but just about how excited he was for you to move on to something else. Like that was just, to me, it's like, man, that's like the ultimate goal of like, you're progressing from, you know, one step in your career mm-hmm. to the next. And someone's so excited for you, even though it means that you're not going to be working with this person or for this person. Like that's, that's an amazing thing I mean, thing I think have. we have to look at this business as, um, as a funnel for the future. You know, we have to bring people into our systems and teach them what we know and they go out and learn what they, what other people know. And then they start forming their own opinions and building a new business for themselves. Yeah, for it's sure. like the ultimate dream for a chef, I think. Mm-hmm. And how many years were you there? Six. Six years, man. Six. Yeah, was it six? Yeah, six. Yeah. A bit. So, man, you take that back to you know twenty 
13. And even thinking back to, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, like, I think Atlanta was so different even back then. You know, yes. we're, we're talking in January of 2019, like, just that short period of time, mm -hmm. you know, six years. Atlanta has, gosh, I mean, if you're thinking about it in terms of percentages, like, we've probably you know, a hundred percent different in different parts of the city, you know, like I think there's, there's always like the, you know, the, the common places that are always going to be on the map of Atlanta. You know I mean? You talk about like the varsity, you know, mm -hmm. or, or place, or, um, man, like Nikolai's roof or, you know, like yeah. just places that have been there and they're never going to go away. But just to see how much has changed, how many people have opened new restaurants, you know, the, the things that people are doing, Georgia agriculture has just become more accessible, like to the city of Atlanta, where, you know, you know, you talk about, um, you know, just how many people are really on the forefront of changing how, you know, a chef or a restaurant works with a farm that's mm -hmm. 30 miles outside of Atlanta, like 20 years ago. Like, I don't know that anybody was really thinking about that. You know, no, unless, unless I you think in California. Morning, Morningside Farmers Market sort of spearheaded that. Yeah. And, and um, you know, after that, now things have really sprouted up. We have an app now, actually, that we use too. Really? That we can order straight from the farmers through this app. It's, yeah, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. looks like we're out of arugula. Like, hang on. I'll just do it from my phone, mm -hmm. you know, instead of like, I have to know a guy who knows a guy who can, you know, get Yeah, who might producing. bring it to you who, next yeah, week. Yeah, who might. Yeah. <laughs> if who it feels like it. And that guy doesn't have a cell phone. Yes. So. <laughs> it is pretty amazing. Um, but I want to talk about Mission and Market, man. So I've, I've had the pleasure of dining here and... Um, there's a few things that, I mean, I was just, you know, like I tried to make sure no one was like looking at me too closely cause I'm like studying the plate and I'm like, you know, <laughs> as, as I'm tasting things like, you know, I, uh, when I'm eating out, like I try to make sure that I'm not like, you know, getting too nerdy, like, you know, hovering over my plate cause I'm like, what is this? Um, but, uh, but you talk about like, you know, if someone blindfolded me and put me in their, in the dining room and I didn't know where I was, like, I would have probably told you that we're probably in the dining room of a restaurant somewhere in California, Southern California. <laughs> well then maybe I've got something going you do, on maybe, you, yeah. you definitely do man you definitely do but, but thank you but uh but tell me about you know where where's the inspiration for mission and market come from and then let's talk about the menu for a little bit I think the inspiration originally came from the space like we had the raw space this is a brand new building right so you know we had the raw space and we we're like what are we gonna do with all this glass you know so it made sense to do something that was airy and bright and fun and um so the west coast influence part of it came from the fact that I really didn't want to be tied to one cuisine. Mm. You know, I'd been to Murphy's, which Murphy's is, you know, contemporary American, maybe more like American comfort food. And um, I just wanted to get out of a genre and just have fun with food. Right. And so what we tried to do here was create something that gave me that ability. Yeah. And so the idea of Mission and Market, the two streets run parallel in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. It was like just to tie a little bit of the West Coast culture to it so that, you know, out there, French is fine, Italian's fine. Um, you know, as much as all the Asian foods are fine too. Sure. So we mix it up a lot um, with a lot of different flavors in our food. And mm -hmm. I think that um, not tying myself to something without becoming known as sort of like the eclectic restaurant was really our mission here was to, tr to try to do that. Yeah. Because fusion food, you know, used to be a term that's dead. It's yeah. not like, that's not what we're trying to achieve anyway. We just want to make really great food. Yeah. Well, and, you know, to your point, I mean, I think you know, <laughs> when you talk about fusion, I'm like, so Korean and tacos, like that's been done uh -huh. how many times, you uh -huh. know, like, which is fine. I mean, again, like I'll eat 
bulgogi tacos mm-hmm. with kimchi on the set. Like, I mean, that sounds great pretty much all the time. But, you know, when it becomes more of like the concept driven, like you you are driving the flavor behind the menu, which is which is so great. And I love that there's so much influence just around like how, how you cook with different flavors. Because like when we ate here, I, I had octopus, which was amazing, by the way. And I don't get a chance to eat it all that often. And that was amazing. And then, you know, a, a salad that was like, you know, ancho and lime and mm-hmm. just like really bright and like really flavorful, like a lot of like frise. And um, and then we had a really nice uh, white pizza mm-hmm. and um, and which I want to talk about here in a minute. Uh, but the bread service was phenomenal. Like so good. I mean, I think we ordered two orders of that. So, but I'm also not and afraid bread of bread. Is, you know, bread was so funny that it was such a conversation when we started. You know, do we serve bread? Mm-hmm. Do we not serve bread? It turns out, really honestly, that a lot of people, if you put bread in front of them, they'll eat it. Mm-hmm. But so many people now have gluten issues, have right. have all these different allergies. That to us, it seemed like making it an option was the best option, and then finding a great bread that sort of fit the mold of what we wanted to achieve yeah was was that bread i mean that bread is so delicious yeah because it's like uh gosh i'm i'm trying not to botch the name it's, i know it's a cocoa it's cocoa rye cocoa yeah. rye yeah and i mean it's um i mean we were here for dinner so i mean it's a little bit dimmer lighting but i mean it is a very very um i, I would say that it has quite the presence like it is a it is a small loaf of bread that you know you i mean i'm a baker you know so mm-hmm. I, I bake sourdough so like i'm going to sit and appreciate like the break of you know the crust into the crumb and like <laughs> i'm like you know, again i'm talking about like i was trying to like hide how much i was studying the bread because it was just so <laughs> good but i think you know also in that vein i think bread service is something that you know I mean, you talk about bread service but you know where there's just so much care and time and attention and detail into something that some people just kind of view as like i expect bread to be on the table like when mm-hmm. i sit down because it's the precursor for you know just before i start eating my real food quote unquote yes but when there's so much art and time and um especially development of flavor in bread where it's not just like here's something that's a carbohydrate that's gonna make you chill out before you get your cold apps you mm-hmm. know but it was incredible man so I, I that's what i've talked about most people um is like when you go I mean, I, I imagine, you know, whenever you get a chance to go, like, if it's still on the menu, it's the same bread, like, just order bread. Like, yeah, that, that's not going anywhere. Yeah, think. that's awesome. It's delicious. Yeah. And, you know, we use um, European butter. We don't use a lot of butter in mm-hmm. food, but we try to use butter that's got a lot of flavor. Yeah. So we serve that with a little sea salt on top of mm-hmm. it, a little olive oil. Yeah. I think it's a delicious combination. Yeah, big time. No, it's an, I was uh, I very, um, very hesitant to do so, but I very much considered, like, having that a part of... Like, uh, just like that being part of my entree, <laughs> just get another salad and like, just keep bringing the bread, but it Bring was, it was incredible. Bread, yeah. yeah. But, um, but I mean, you know, the, just to go back to the menu, like as a whole, um, there's a lot going on in the menu. And mm-hmm. the other thing that we had on the menu that was really awesome. Um, and we've had it a few other places around town and in a few other cities is the impossible burger. But I will say the impossible burger has, has made a huge splash. You know I mean? It's like really throwing people for a loop and, um, it's amazing, but the the Impossible Burger on your menu was um, was something else, man. Thank like we, you. Yeah, we we split it in half. So I'm here with my wife, and we split it in half, and both of us are like taking bites. Like, okay, wow, you know, like it just it was totally different. So um, it's funny in the last well, we're talking about almost a year. Mm-hmm. You know, the the um, public's awareness of the Impossible Burger mm-hmm. has rocketed up like so much. Oh yeah, now it's it's kind of like commonplace. Yeah, like people are asking for it. It's like, do you guys do you guys serve the Impossible Burger here? Or is it like you know, making your own veggie veggie burger? Yeah, but yeah, and we is. use uncured Asiago. You know, it's fresh. Yeah, so that it's just got that nice little tang to it. Yeah, oh, it's the cheese delicious. was awesome. Yeah, 
it's a, it's one of those things you don't need to do too much too. So yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I think the um, you know, the the inspiration behind you know just like the the ambiance, like the menu itself, like it's um, it's really cool. You know, and I th- I think what's what's really interesting about the menu as well is um, you know, like you said earlier, you're not you're not stuck in one place. I mean, you can you can really approach it from any. <laughs> really any level i mean your whole table can order just pizza and i think you're going to be you know really satisfied uh but then you know you go like the route of you know more the like full entree style like mm-hmm. there's something on the menu for everybody but i think everything is celebrated and i think that's the other thing too is um, i think we probably ordered eight dishes and i mean sometimes that's just what we do is like we'll just you know like let's just rifle through like everything and like you know we end up eating everything, which is always a bad idea. It's like, we're so full, but, <laughs> but so good. But nothing, nothing was at all. Um, nothing was like the sleeper. Everything was like really boldly flavored and like had a really, really good, um, just like a really good balance as well. So it's cool to see that there's so much versatility to the menu, which is really cool. So. And you know, what we wanted to achieve was a restaurant that people would come to often. Yeah. And so, um, given that we're still in bucket in a high rise so mm-hmm. it's like you know we needed to sort of be be diverse be different and i wanted to be completely different from any other restaurant around you yeah know? well and i was gonna say man feather in your cap because you know if you dine around buckhead i mean it really depends on where you go but you know like i i think for for the i don't know may, maybe a little bit more of like the of the lion's share of like dining in buckhead like people are typically looking for like you know a comfortable meal like mm-hmm. you know but I I really appreciate the the level of um, of diversity and complexity that you can you know mission to market's cool man so and we want uh, I want people to feel like you know we're having fun and that's that's really important because yeah. when you're cooking good food people I think it resonates with people and mm-hmm. I th- I just hope that people you know see that for what it is yeah and for the most part they do you know um, and I just hope that we have people that are really happy. Yeah, for sure, man. But it's um, it's really cool, you know. Like I, I, I think what, uh, what's gonna happen, you know, like as you got, as you guys just progress, you know, into year two and year three, like it's gonna be, you know, like um, it's just gonna be a really great place, you know, just in general. It's already like a really great addition to to dining in Buckhead. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. And you know, the the last thing that you know, I, I kind of want to just get your get your thoughts on is um you know so sitting in the dining room it's it's a really interesting shape you know of like I mean, the whole building is kind of an interesting shape when mm-hmm. you start looking at it yes. like where you enter in like it's a huge like atrium of where you walk in like the main entrance of the building and yep. like really big open space and then you come into the restaurant and now it kind of it kind of like brings you in a little bit more but talk to me about like the position of the kitchen cuz it's really it's really interesting you can see so much of the kitchen as soon as you walk through the front door which is not like the most common thing when you see like a brand new building, brand new kitchen. Yeah. So, but it, it's amazing. I mean, you, I can see probably more than half of your staff working as soon as I walk through the front door. It's I really think, cool. you know, most of that was intentional. Some of that was because of the way the building's laid out. Mm-hmm. Like those two huge pillars on the ends of the kitchen, they're actually structural, mem- structural. Um, oh, really? Pop posts. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They go all the way up through the building. Ah, okay. So we couldn't do anything with those. So we messed around with several different configurations. But to me, it was always important that the kitchen was like front and center in the restaurant because I think you can see exactly what's going on. We can't hide anything from you. Yeah. You know, you can walk by and see us picking up food and you can walk by and see things being done. So yeah, it's it's a great environment for people to work in because it, it teaches you, you know, great discipline. And it's also great for the customers because I think they feel more confident that 
what they see is what they get rather than, you know, when the kitchen's tucked away in the back and nobody sees anything. Yeah. It, it is really interesting because it's, it's so much a part of while you're eating dinner. I mean, you're, you're a part of the kitchen almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, one of the first things I, I noticed, like when I was walking by, when we came in for dinner, uh, a, a few months ago was, I mean, I could just see, you know, like, I, I think I was chatting with your sous chef, you know, briefly just, uh, you know, just chatting about at the menu and like there's you know the immersion circulator right there i mean like it's just really cool you can see so much of like not only just like the movement of the kitchen but like really just everything so it's, yes. it's really cool to have that much that much of a window just to see you know like how everything is being done so it's just, but yeah i mean you're right it's just not it's not the most common thing it's kind of like tucked away sometimes or it's you know not like your food just like emerges you know and mm-hmm. then but you know actually being a part of it, it's really cool yeah, really like it, it. it's good because we all have to work a little bit more quietly. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, though. I like it, though. Like, this is what I love for the show. Like, the ambiance is really what I, I really go after. Yes. I really like that. So I like I like feeling how busy the restaurant is. But, um, but Chef, it's it's such an honor to have you on the show, man. Thanks. Like my pleasure. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, and, you know, just your, your background, like, you know, where where you've been, who you've worked under, how you've, you know, worked so, so much at making Atlanta really the city that it is from a dining perspective. Um, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Man. I'm honored to be here, so yeah, thank you yeah. so much. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Many thanks to Chef Ian for joining me for this episode and congrats on the upcoming one-year anniversary opening of Mission and Market. And if you're like me and you're stoked to see some wonderful restaurants opening in Buckhead as of late, and friends, Mission and Market is on the forefront of making Buckhead even better. And if you're officed in the area or in the middle of Buckhead and you're in need of a classy lunch or maybe you need a meal idea for your next Friday out with friends or a loved one, pay Chef a visit and save some of that bread for me, or pretty much everything for that matter. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited over on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz, and if you like what you hear, you can support the show right now on Patreon for just $5 a month. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to The Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry, 